0: This is The Writer's Voice, new fiction from The New Yorker. I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor at The New Yorker. On this episode of The Writer's Voice, we'll hear Laurie Siegel read her story, Ladies Lunch, from the February 27, 2017 issue of the magazine. Siegel is the author of five novels, including Her First American and Half the Kingdom, which was published in 2013. Now here's Laurie Siegel.
1: Ladies' Lunch It mattered that Lottie's apartment was commodious. Lottie liked to boast that when she lay in bed and looked past the two closest water towers, past the architectural follies and oddities few people noticed on Manhattan's rooftops, she saw all the way to the Empire State Building. On the velvet sofa in Lottie's living room from which she could observe the Hudson River traffic as far as the George Washington Bridge, the caregiver sat watching television. Get rid of her, Lottie said. Samson dropped his voice as if this might make his mother lower hers. As soon as we find you a replacement. And I'll get rid of her, Lottie said. Sam said, we'll go on interviewing till we find you the right one. Who will let me eat my bread and butter? Mom, Sam said, bread turns into sugar, as you know very well. And don't care, Lottie said. If she lets you eat bread for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, she'll get fired. Good, said Lottie. Sarah, Sam said to the caregiver, I'll take my mother to her lady's lunch if you'll pick her up at 3.30. That okay with you? Sarah asked Lottie. No, said Lottie. Ladies' lunch is pronounced in quotation marks. The five women have grown old, coming together every other month or so for the last 30 or more years around one another's table. Ruth, Bridget, Farah, Lottie, and Bessie are longtime New Yorkers. Their origins in California, County Mayo, Tehran, Vienna, and the Bronx might have grounded them, but do not these days often surface. Ruth was a retired lawyer. She said, I've forgotten, of course, who it was said, that there are four or five people in the world to whom we tell things, and that's us. Something happens, and I think I'll tell the next lady's lunch. True, it's true, Lottie said. When I suddenly sat on my rear on the sidewalk outside my front door, I was looking forward to telling you. Lottie had turned out to need a hip replacement. Dr. Goodman, the surgeon, was a furry man like a character in an Ed Corran cartoon, only jollier. He had promised Lottie from here on it's all good. I'm 80 years old, Lottie had said. Goodman told her, I'm on my way to the 92nd birthday of a patient whose knees I replaced 11 years ago. Bessie said, and I told you from my poor Colin's experience, that the recovery is not so much like Goodman's cheery projection. These days it depended on the state of Colin's health and Colin's mood whether Bessie was able to take the train in from old Rockingham. Today's lunch was at Bridget's, so she got to set the agenda. How to prevent the inevitable. I mean, any of the scenarios we would rather die than live in. Bridget was a writer who still spent mornings at her computer. Farah, a recently retired doctor, said, the old problem of shuffling off this mortal coil, of shuffling off, Lottie said. And it was you who said you wanted to see it all, to see what would happen to the end, Farah reminded Lottie. I wasn't counting on the 24-hour caregiver or the heart-healthy diet, said Lottie. You doctors need to do a study of the correlation between salt-free food and depression. Your Sarah seems pleasant enough, Rose said. And what's wrong with her? That she's in my living room, Lottie said, watching television... That she's in my kitchen eating her lunch, which she does standing up, that she's in my spare room asleep and in my bathroom whenever I want to go in. Ruth asked Lottie what Sarah did for her. Do you need a caregiver to help you dress? No, Lottie said. You need a caregiver to help you shower? No, Lottie said. Get your meals? God, no. So, what do you need help with? The caregiver, Lottie said. Go away, she said to Sarah, who had come to take her home. The four friends' mouth dropped to see Lottie raise her arm at the caregiver and slap the air. They were of an age when they worried if one of them did not answer her telephone. Bessie, Lottie's oldest friend, had known Sam since he was a baby. She called him from Connecticut. Why doesn't the caregiver pick up Lottie's phone? She's gone. There was just too much abuse. You're kidding me. What? That nice Sarah? You're talking elder abuse? More like caregiver abuse, Sam said. Like what? Like mom would change the channel Sarah was watching on the TV. She'd come into the kitchen and pack away the food Sarah was preparing for her lunch and turn on the light when Sarah was asleep. It was getting bizarre. I'm here waiting with her for the new woman. Bessie emailed the friends in New York to look in on Lottie. Bridget went to see Lottie. Bridget, Lottie, and Shireen, the new caregiver, sat looking out on Riverside Drive. Lottie said, Shireen drives in from New Jersey. Shireen has a five-year-old who brushes his own teeth. Shireen told him that if he doesn't brush, a roach will grow in his mouth. Bessie phoned Lottie. How is the new caregiver? intrusive said Lottie when Farah called Lottie it was Sam who picked up the phone Cherine is gone mom locked her I can't make out if it was into or out of the bathroom but it wasn't that Cherine did not want to have to manhandle mom to stop her eating sugar by the spoonfuls Lottie is angry Farah said after making your own decisions your lifelong, it must be hell having someone tell you what you can eat and when to shower and what to wear. Because our own decisions are not tenable, Sam said. Greg is coming in from Chicago. Gregor was Lottie's younger son. We're going to check out this nice assisted living home. It sounds really nice, upscale. Sam? You're moving Lottie out of her apartment to a nice home in the country. A home in the country. You discussed this move with Lottie? Yes. And she has agreed? Well, yes, she has, in a way, Sam said. She said, next year, maybe. Listen, Mom cannot deal with the round the clock caregivers, and believe me that she does not, does not want to move in with Diana and me. Bridget phoned Sam. So, what's this place you want to move Lottie into? Called Three Trees. It's in the Hudson Valley, Sam told her. My brother will help me move Mom in and move the stuff she's fond of, the famous velvet sofa. And she will have an apartment of her own. A bed sitter, neat and convenient, with her own bathroom and a breakfast nook. Her own nook, Bridget said. What's outside the window? The Hudson River view, unfortunately, is on the other side of the building. Trees, there's a little parking lot, and lots of green. Listen, we know Mom would prefer Manhattan, which would have been a hell of a lot more convenient for Diana and me to visit her, but who can afford something nice in the city? Bridget said, It's that none of us drives these days. How are we going to visit? One of the advantages is that there will always be people around. Does Lottie think this is an advantage? Sam said, I've never been in a situation where there hasn't been somebody to talk with. I have, said Bridget, and I would know she's getting three proper meals. God, poor Lottie, thought Bridget, and poor Sam. You're not a happy camper, she said to him, wondering what the phrase came from. Ruth, an old activist, had an idea. She said, I'll talk to Sam. Have you closed on the Hudson Valley place, she asked him. Greg and I are going up on Thursday. Ruth said, will you give us a couple of days to figure something out? Believe me, there's nothing to... Yes, sure, okay, but I need to get Mom and her staff moved before Greg leaves for Chicago. Ruth said... Could Lottie live alone if... Absolutely not. Sam, wait. Could Lottie live alone if the four of us, the three of us, if Bessie can't come in, take turns checking on Lottie to see what she needs and if anything is wrong? Mom would put sugar on her bread and butter. Sounds delicious, Ruth said. She would never change her clothes. Probably not. She would have one shower a week. She would not shower. Sam, so what? Not on my watch, Sam said. Things need to be done right. No, they don't. Why do they need to be right? When mom messed up her medicines, Greg and I had to rush her to emergency. She might have died. Yes, she might. Your mother might have died in her own bed in sight of the Empire State Building and the George Washington Bridge. No, but Sam, we will go up and check on her. Let's try it, a couple of days. What if she falls down again? She falls down, Sam. I'll sleep over there tonight. Ruth slept over at Lottie's, and Lottie fell, going from her bed to the bathroom. Ruth called Sam, and Sam and Gregor came and took Lottie to emergency. Samson and Gregor moved their mother, the sofa, and whatever else out of Lottie's ample apartment could be made to fit into the bed sitter in the Hudson Valley. Greg flew back to Chicago. When the ladies' lunch met in Farah's apartment, the agenda was Lottie's rescue. Farah had a plan. They brought each other up to date. Lottie had phoned Ruth from Three Trees. Ruth said, I didn't recognize her voice. I mean, I knew it was Lottie, but her voice sounded different, strangled, a new, strange voice. Lottie is furious, Bessie said. Yes, I know that voice, Bridget said. Lottie called me. She remembered my sitting with her and Shireen. She wanted me to get Shireen's phone number. Shireen drives a car. Lottie wants Shireen to come and pick her up at Three Trees and drive her home to the apartment, which is not going to happen. Lottie called me, reported Farah. She wants us, her and me to rent a car together. I told her I haven't renewed my license. I doubt if I could pass the eye test. Not a problem, Lottie said she would drive. Does she even have a license? Lottie hasn't driven in 10 years. Bessie said, Sam called me and he was fit to be tied, wanted to know if I had something to do with Lottie buying a car. Buying a car, me, I have never actually bought a car in my life. Lottie believes that she has bought a car and keeps calling this dealer to send her the keys. Bessie had called Lottie and asked her, What's this about a car? Lottie says it's down there in the parking lot. What kind of a car is this? Bessie had asked her, and Lottie said, I'm waiting till they send me the virtual key. Farah's plan. Farah had an 18-year-old grandson, Hami. He would have his license as soon as he passed his test. He'll drive us to Three Trees and we will bring Lottie back. Better be soon, Bessie said. Sam is putting Lottie's apartment on the market. The test is this Monday. But Hami failed his test. Bridget phoned Lottie at Three Trees. How's it going? Not good. How is the food? Salt free. Judging from your voice, you're getting a little bit used to being there. Can you come and get me and take me back to my apartment? Lottie, we just really wouldn't know how. For the moment, might it be a good idea to accommodate yourself? Yes, but I need to go home, Lottie said. Have you found anyone to talk to? Yes, Alana. She sits next to me in the dining room. Alana has three children and five grandchildren, the oldest 19, the twins age 13, and the nine and the five-year-old. Would you like me to tell you what their names are? Not really. Would you like me to tell you where each of them goes to school? Lottie, Minnie Mansfield, has a grandson. His name is Joel, and Joel has a friend whose name is Sam, like my Sam. Shall I tell you which colleges Sam and which colleges Joels are considering going to? Lottie, Minnie's sister's granddaughter, said Lottie, is thinking of taking a gap year before she goes to Williams. Lottie, Lottie said, I have not told Elano or Minnie that I have died. I thought a while before telling Sam, but he was fine. He was really very good about it, my poor Sam. You mean that you feel as if? Bridget hesitated between saying as if you have died and as if you are dead. Lottie said, no, I am dead. If I saw Dr. Goodman or any doctor would look down my throat and see the four yellow spots that people have. When you write the story, the question is whether, now that I am dead, I can die again a second time, or is this what it is from here on? Lottie, you want me to write your story? You've already written how I got rid of Sarah and Shireen and the roach in Shireen's five-year-old's mouth and about Sam and Greg putting me here in the boonies. Lottie, Bridget said, we are mobilizing ourselves. We are trying to figure out how to come and visit you. Good, oh, oh, good, good, Lottie said. She wanted them to give her enough lead time so she could arrange a ladies' lunch in the Three Trees dining room. Then I'll tell you how I lay down on my sofa. This was last Friday, just to take a nap, and when I woke up, I knew that I was going to die, and I died." Sam has taken time off twice this month to go and visit his mother. He feels that she is settling in. When she says that she has died, she means died to the old New York life in order to pass into the new life at Three Trees. That's what you think she means? Bessie asks him. What else could she mean? Bessie is silent. She says, Lottie has stopped calling me. I know, Sam says. She doesn't call me and she doesn't return Diana's calls. She doesn't pick up her phone. I know, Sam says. Bessie is pretty much stuck in Old Rockingham. Colin seems to be on the decline. Poor Bridget didn't make it to the last lady's lunch because she had one of her frequent debilitating headaches but she wants to come along if Ruth and Farah figure out how to go and visit Lottie. The idea to hitch a ride with Sam when he drives up to Three Trees gets screwed up because Lottie does not return Farah's call. And then I guess I forget to call her, Ruth says. In any case, there wouldn't have been really time to change my doctor's appointment. Hami has got his license and has driven his new second-hand car to his first semester at Purchase. Farah and Bridges still mean to figure out some way to go up and see Lottie, maybe in the spring, when the weather is nicer.
0: That was Laurie Siegel reading her story, "Ladies' Lunch. Siegel has been publishing fiction in The New Yorker since 1961. You can hear more New Yorker fiction read by the authors on newyorker.com and on the New Yorker apps, available from the App Store or from Google Play. On the New Yorker Fiction podcast, we invite writers to choose stories from the magazine's archives to read and discuss. This month, Juno Diaz reads Seven by Edwidge Danticat. You can subscribe to that and other New Yorker podcasts by searching for The New Yorker in your podcast app. The weekly audio edition of The New Yorker is available on iTunes or Audible.com. Tell us what you thought of this podcast by rating and reviewing The Writer's Voice on iTunes. Our theme music is by Jordan Batiste and Ross Michaels of North American Plastics. The Writer's Voice is produced by Jill Duboff of NewYorker.com. I'm Deborah Treisman. Thanks for listening.